This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content. There's always this weird treating the pastors like celebrities that you couldn't talk to directly or look at and you weren't worthy of it. There is this complete culture of that, but it's almost like the volunteers directly from them. The way that they like treated them gave this sense like, oh, I actually cannot talk directly to Pastor Carl and say hi if he was passing by because this other volunteer, lead volunteer, can barely even like form a sentence around him. Hi, I'm Nate. I'm Gail. And this is Full Mutuality. On today's episode, we have a friend of mine, Lizeth, uh, who's coming to share her story. Uh, in, in the last few episodes, we've been talking a lot about church abuse, and we're talking about it yet again. Uh, this time, we're going to be discussing a church that has been in the headlines quite a lot recently. A lot. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, and this church is... Uh, Hillsong Church. Um, Lizeth and I actually met at Hillsong uh, serving together. So uh, thank you so much for joining us um, on on the uh, on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> Let's start off with, and this will be interesting for people. Um, how maybe had you heard about Hillsong before you ever attended a Hillsong Church? What was your introduction to Hillsong? Basically, how did had you heard about it before, and how did you end up there? Yeah. Um, I was really familiar with Hillsong through their music. I very much grew up like since high school going to church and like church camps, youth group. So we would play their music all the time. So I listened to, they're like on the top, like forties of Christian, um, pop. So I was really familiar and actually it's the name. It's what caught my eye. And that's why I started going to the church. Um, I had moved from Florida to New Jersey. Um, and I, took a job there. I was doing property management and didn't know anybody, completely new city. Um, and I remember I just Googled churches and Hillsong just popped up and I was like, oh my God, like I thought it was so cool because I grew up singing their music. I knew them. I thought they were like so hip. The singers dress really coolly with the leather jackets and the hats and ripped jeans. Um, so I was really hyped. And that's it really was just a Google search and realizing like this really great mega church was right around the corner for me, a short little drive. Um, and so I knew like I wanted to start going there. And that's where I would eventually have my community. Wow. How about yeah. you, Nate? Um, yeah. So my story is um, kind of the same and yet very different. I didn't ever think I would end up at a Hillsong church. Um, although I was very familiar with them from you know, my years in the um, evangelical world. Um, I was working at, um, at a local mega church called Liquid um, at the time that I kind of first discovered Hillsong as a, as a phenomenon more than just like a couple of songs that were sort of topping some pop charts. But I grew up in a branch of Christianity that was very... Um, uh, shall we say that Hillsong was antithetical to this, to, to my church's, um, ideologies. And in fact, we weren't even allowed to listen to their music. You're talking about um, fundamentalism that you came out of before you ended up at liquid. Yeah. You had mm -hmm. like yeah. singing Hillsong would be like bad, bad, like that's yeah. okay. Yeah. So I, I still, I still knew, uh, of them, um, from like some of the, my, my, my aunt was, was really, she had like the, I guess, TBN, um, on, on her TV often. And some of their, you know, music videos would pop up every once in a while. So I was aware of Hillsong. Um, after I left that church, I was, I ended up working at Liquid, like I mentioned before. And at Liquid, that's when I kind of discovered Hillsong as sort of a big phenomenon. Uh, we went to a, a bunch of United concerts. And so that's kind of like United is sort of the, the front group group, the band, um, of Hillsong music's kind of empire. Um, so we, we, we attended a bunch of United, um, concerts and I was instantly hooked. Um, and then after working at, um, liquid, I got uh, the job at emergence, which is, um, the church that I was working for, uh, for five years and that I've referenced in, um, in a couple other episodes. And, um, while I was there, they also tried to work the Hillsong out of me. They had their own kind of like post grunge kind of 
music and they felt like you know hillsong wasn't doctrinally sound in their music That's so great. we're gonna we're, <laughs> we're gonna do something a little different so they had like they uh, wrote their own worship songs or let me oh, guess they yeah. went back to the old hymns and they just put modern spins on them all so they could be extra serious was that it <laughs> they definitely yeah. they definitely did a bunch of that kind of that kind of thing uh, but then they also felt like you know hillsong was had too many songs about god's love and we need to have more songs about god's wrath oh boy so um <laughs> Wow. So you Um, went from that kind of environment where you were pastoring and where you were on staff and you were involved there getting the Hillsong is too wishy-washy and too lovey-lovey Christianity and it's all glitz and and show and, and then you decided to go there. How did? Yeah. So, <laughs> I, yeah. After I after I resigned from um, from emergence, um, I was looking for another church to go to, um, and I f- I was already kind of going through, I guess, uh, a sort of deconstructive process with with regards to my faith, and the the deconstruction that I had done the most while I was at emergence was from this sort of like. Calvinist mentality of God's sovereignty and God's wrath, um, and this um, foundation of humanity's total depravity, and that we need salvation because of how depraved we were, rather than this idea of God loving us and then saving us. And that was the first sort of thing that I unraveled. And Hillsong served as an antithesis to emergence in that way, in that they loved to emphasize God's love uh, as opposed to um, to God's wrath and and anger and how we need salvation from God's wrath. So that's kind of what, what drew me to Hillsong did philosophically. Did you know anyone there? Did anyone invite I, yeah. you along or did you just go on your own? So, yeah, I mean, I... Um, I had my brother who was very involved um, at Hillsong at the time. And so he he kind of, I don't think he really invited me so much as like, I didn't know where else to go. And I wanted to be invisible because my time on staff at Emergence had gotten me to the point where I was very um, known. I was at I was at Liquid, which was a well-known church in um, New Jersey. And then I was at Emergence, which was another well-known church in New Jersey. Um, and from there, I wanted to be anonymous. And I knew that if I went to any other large church in New Jersey, or even like somewhat large church in New Jersey, people would recognize me and they'd be like, oh, what happened to you? The emergence guy is no longer an emergence. So Hillsong was big enough, yeah. I guess, because your brother Hill- was sort of well known at Hillsong for anonymity. I don't think, I don't know. I'm well, n- well, I didn't, th- I mean, it, the thing is, so the a culture like that, you could go there and like me, I could go there and not mention my brother. Um, I could just pick services that either he's not, um, he's not at, or as we, you know, we'll, we'll kind of get into a little bit. Um, they had another location in Montclair, New Jersey, that my brother wasn't as involved in because he was mostly in Manhattan and only occasionally showed up in, in Montclair. And nobody in Montclair really knew who he was other than like, oh, there's that singer today. Um, whereas in Manhattan, he was more well-known. So I could attend Montclair and not be as, as, um, as visible. But, um, that kind of didn't happen because I sort of was like, they, they pressure you to start getting involved. And then that when, yeah, right. Like Lizeth is, is nodding her head. So go ahead. I I think I've talked enough. Lizeth, do you want to talk a little bit about like that? Let's go into the pressure of Hillsong. How did that, how does that work for the two of you? Where did that start coming in? And yeah. I wouldn't say that I was pressured. I was like complete opposite of your experience and what you're looking for. Like you're looking for like complete, complete opposites, the antithesis of like what you've been doing. Whereas I was like, I need friends and I need a community. So I, I essentially plugged myself in. I very much went, I forget, I think like every month or every week they had like a welcome event back in the day. Cause this was a New Jersey one and it was when it, New Jersey was kind of building up as its own and pulling a little bit more out from Manhattan. So I just still remember like going with the like goal of like, I'm going to meet someone and I'm going to start volunteering. Cause for me, it wasn't enough just to be there on Sundays. I was like, no, I need to like, I need to make friends. Like it's really hard to make friends when you, when you're an adult in a new city. So I knew like my friends would come probably from this church cause that's where they'd come in the past. Um, so I, probably different experience. I kind of went in and was like, I want to do something and got plugged in immediately doing venue design. But then from there, it's the constant rostering. And then like, oh, well, you're here. Like, why don't you also do this? And that kind of came 
a little bit later where it's like, okay, I'm here first thing in the morning at like 6 a.m. to set up. And now I'm like, not just doing this. I'm also like singing in the choir because I need bodies. And then I'm being scheduled every single Sunday and I'm staying at the end and breaking down. And so it was like, it was more of a slow transition. First I initiated it. And then it just kind of was like, let's keep going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was, that part was, was also my experience. Although getting there was a little bit different for me um, because I wanted some anonymity, but after, after a little while of, of attending Hillsong, I ended up in that, in that phase of like, well, I, I want to start making friends. Um, and I don't want to rely on just, um, hanging out with my brother's friends. Cause some of my, some of my brother's friends knew that I was around. They knew I had left emergence and that I was, um, kind of popping into, uh, into Hillsong, but again, mostly Manhattan people. Uh, there was maybe like, uh, two or three people in Montclair who respected my, my desire for anonymity. But I wanted to develop some community and and make some friends. And one of the primary avenues that they have for making friends is joining a, a team. Um, and I know they have like the the community groups for people who don't you know necessarily want to or aren't ready to start kind of serving. But even even in those community groups, um, they they really push. Um, I forgot what they call it. community groups is what they call them at emergence connect groups at, uh, yeah. at Hillsong and life groups at liquid. It's all these like <laughs> different hip <laughs> names to like, yeah, get people, um, to start interacting with each other. But yeah, even in connect groups, they started, there was a lot of that sort of a- advertising as it were of, of joining teams. So anyway, I joined, um, I, I joined the, the welcome team. Cause I'm like, you know what, this is, a no brainer kind of service group. I don't have to like think through much. I could show up and like say hi to people. And then as I was doing that, more people were coming in and I was starting to get recognized as I, as people were attending. And then there were some people that were le- that had left some of my previous churches and were checking out Hillsong and they saw me there that was, you know, one thing, one thing that do another. Well, Manhattan and then, is not very far from Montclair. For people who don't know, and they think New Jersey, New York, two different states. I mean, those locations are what, like half an hour uh, from each other or less? Yeah. Yeah. More or less, like about mm, 25 minutes or so. Right. Um, if you, if you drive on a Sunday um, during the week, it's like an hour and a half. So but, it's kind of hard know. to distance yourself <laughs> from the other campus when they're sort of interconnected and when people live <laughs> near you, you know, or, or yeah, people who would be aware of one scene would recognize you at the other scene. Right, right. So that kind of, you know, some of that stuff was was starting to happen, and then, um, the, then they found out that I had a background in um in music and and production. So, uh, or not a background, but like some experience um in production and a background in music. So, they they kind of ran that guilt a little bit. They were they were doing the whole, you know, you have these gifts, but you're only you know doing welcome team like you know use let's use your gifts, let's put your you know your your skills into something, and then they created a role kind of they there was there was this role called um creative producer that then morphed into service producer which was what i was uh what i ended up doing there and so anyway all that to say that's kind of what what my my journey into the team but then just like lizeth was saying next thing you know i mean for me it was right from the bat because there was nobody else doing my job at at hillsong when i started that i mean there was um, one, one of my friends, he sort of got the ball rolling, but he really wasn't doing that job anymore. He just showed me what I needed to do, then walked away. And then after a little while, we started recruiting some more people to the role, but it was still a lot of, well, you're here. So, you know, might as well plug in. And then I would go to Manhattan and do some of the same stuff there. And it became this kind of like, where are you down? Like I'm showing up again, like 6am, not finishing up in Montclair until close to noon, but only having an hour window to get from Montclair to Manhattan because I've been scheduled to serve there. Um, or as they, they like to say in, in Hillsong rostered to serve in, um, in Manhattan as well, which is another chunk of time. You're there from like 2 PM until breakdown at 10 PM. So, so you're, you're showing up in Montclair at 6 AM and you're leaving Manhattan at 10 PM. Basically, yeah. I mean, this is like a whole day of free free labor. I mean, yeah. it, it sounds like it started off with 
you know, we see your potentials, like it's sort of flattering, like here's your gifts and why not use the areas where you're gifted? And like, it's sort of a compliment to recognizing and seeing in you what you have to offer. Like you feel like, oh, look, these gifts and things I have, they're saying God can use that for his glory. And it could be such, you can be a positive contributor in this environment you're in and you get to know people and meet people and you go in probably feeling like I'm going to do something great for the place that I'm in that fits with who I am. And then, and then. Yeah. <laughs> lay it on you thick and then and then you're you're sort of stuck and you feel obligated um and that's kind of the 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 thing that i've observed at that culture is that they they don't explicitly make you feel obligated but there's there's a lot of this implicit push towards staying connected through teams and you know they do make you feel kind of guilty yeah i would say for me personally like i never felt like the need to dedicate a full day. Like I know a lot of people that was their experience. They were rostered like from 6am to 10pm and they, it was every week for me, not so much. Like I never really went to Manhattan. I was mostly in Montclair, but stepping back and being out of that environment and looking into it, it's what they create and what they do so well is just not letting you have an opportunity to take time to step back, to realize this is a lot. I'm doing a lot. I'm overworked. I'm tired. I'm not even experiencing church or anything because you spend your day Sunday and then Monday there's an event. Tuesday you have creative night. You have your connect group on Wednesday. If you're doing youth, you're doing that Thursday. And then on Friday, you're probably having something else and getting together with your friends who also go to church too. Um, And so they're just really good about connecting people. And then you're just once you're like sucked into the bubble in the community, that's it. You're there. It's taking your time. All of your friends are doing it. So you just, it's very easy to just like all of a sudden, like you don't see anything else. That's mm-hmm. it. You don't have time to like pull away. You're sort of autopiloting at that point yeah. and it's your, it's your whole social network. So it is meeting some needs of like, these are your, this is your community and the people that you're used to seeing. Um, but you don't really have a chance to step back and think of all the time that you're dedicating to it because you're so in that loop that you don't really have the, like, it sounds, this is like somebody who's not inside Hillsong, but it almost sounds, um, well, like a cult. I mean, it sounds harsh to say that, but like, you know, where you're, you're kept so busy that you can't even think through that. And this has become your whole, like your whole social circle. Right. So like, Both Mm -hmm. of those things are very strong characteristics of any cult and cults can look very different from each other. But when you're, when your whole social life revolves around church, when you're basically working a second part-time job for free for your church, and this is all of your messaging and your events and your activities that you're doing are with the same people in the same group. Oh yeah. I would say the whole setup is to be that way. Like think about it. You have a kid, you bring in a kid, they go to youth group. Um, or they go to like the kids section of it and they're being raised in that. And that's where they're making their friends. Then they're going, they're teenagers or going to youth group. Then they're doing the young adult. And now they're like adults and they're surrounded by other adults that they've known their whole lives in this same community. Um, yeah. So it's very much culty. I think I went to one of those, uh, one of those uh, club of the, the Valentine's day thing that they, that they put on. Uh, I remember it was like a prom theme, I think. Yeah. <laughs> But I didn't do it. I didn't go. <laughs> I was so I went. I actually went to get a tattoo um, that night from. Um, oh shit! What is his name? John Boy. Uh, John Boy. Yeah. Which um, also, we were all getting tattoos at the same place. Like I, know, I have right? a John Boy tattoo. You have a John <laughs> I've got a John Boy tattoo. John Boy tattoo. Wow. We're all getting tattoos. <laughs> together <laughs> yeah I, and he, he kind of blew up because uh one of the jenners got a tattoo from him didn't like justin bieber too yeah oh yeah of course justin bieber got a tattoo from him so yeah i not afford him anymore yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> so yeah i was i was getting a tattoo from john boy that night and he was like um hey i want to go to to prom so uh how about let's go to prom together and then after that we'll come back here i'll reopen the shop for you and uh We'll get we'll get it done. I'm like, All right. okay, cool. <laughs> and of course, prom was like a lot of people just getting drunk. So I was like, you know, well, I'm drinking. It's gonna take the edge off for later on. You're perfect. Gonna bleed is what you're gonna do. <laughs> exactly. It's not yeah, was very not, smart. No, it was <laughs> yeah, not very it smart. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But yeah, so so that whole like yeah, the whole culture just kind of it sucks you in. So the point I wanted to make was that um you have no time to step back and think critically about any of it. No, there's no moment to look at it from any angle and and analyze any aspect of it. So if you want to analyze the belief system, you can't. There's no time. There's no time to breathe. If you want to analyze what what they're doing to volunteers, you can't. There's no time. Like you're constantly going. So it sort of sets itself up as as an environment that can't be criticized from the inside, from people inside, because none of the people inside have time to, to sit back and, and take a, a another look at it. What would you say as a rebuttal to anyone who is like, well, you know, I mean, uh, you know, a church is besides Hillsong, you know, people are involved, they have their Wednesday night groups, and they're serving and they do a weekend activity and they're there on Sunday. And, you know, I know, like, lots of people who end up in churches where they're spending four nights or four other days or evenings connected to church stuff. And they say, you know, yes, my kids are in the kids program, but that's great. They're connected in with stuff that's related to faith and that's sharing my values. And if I'm constantly in things that are, you know, for the kingdom of God and serving his purposes and my kids are, you know, hearing the good stuff and it's a good environment. It's, it's a positive thing. It's what I would want them to, to have, to build them up. What would be your, rebuttal or what would be your thought to that like is it the same as everywhere else is it uh you know how would you respond to that as a thought I feel like I would say what my dad always tells me where everything's good but in moderation (laughs) you know what I mean (laughs) it's the same type of situation you can't just especially because and here's the thing I guess not every church is bad of course not and not every situation is bad but what if you do happen to stumble across the one that is and that becomes your whole life you're not taking time away. You're not getting to know new people, new experiences. You're not even taking time to like get to know yourself. Um, and I think that's when it becomes a problem is when like in a situation like Hillsong, when that's all you're doing, like most volunteers aren't even going to church on Sunday because they're just serving this church Sunday. So they're not even getting the God part of it. All they're doing is the work and the socializing, but they're not getting the actual like foundation of it. And I think that's where the problem is. And in a situation like Hillsong, because not to say that like this is bad and every church is the same and that you shouldn't spend so much time at church. Sure. But also like you need to make sure you're taking the time to take care of yourself and also able to assess the situation and understand like this is actually what I want. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I would say um, what might be a, a good approach is that you need to have some balance um, and it might be a good idea, for, especially for people who are um, heavily involved in a particular religious group, to maybe spend a little bit of time experiencing or sitting in in company with and exposing yourself to ideas that come from outside of that religious group. Because a, if if you if you are an adherent to a particular faith, by hearing other viewpoints, um, whether they're you know non-religious, um, you know atheist, secular, what have you, or viewpoints of another religion that looks very different from um, your own, I think it's always a good idea to kind of see how other people see and experience the world. Um, it'll get you some balance and it'll help you recognize when there might be problems within your own experience. Because if you see somebody who's very healthy in an, in an experience and they're saying, well, the reason I'm healthy is because X, Y, and Z. And you're looking at your experience and saying, I don't have X, Y, and Z. Am I not healthy? Or why do I not feel as great as this person is saying that they feel? Is it because they're doing something differently from from me, or they believe something about themselves different from what I believe about myself. So um, that's kind of what I would what I would say is that you know what don't <laughs> you know I, I think in in all things you need a, a balanced diet, right? You can't just eat yeah. uh, dairy all the time, you know. <laughs> you can. <laughs> might seem, need some lactose pills to go with yeah. that. It might not be good for you. Put it that way. So in the same way, like I, I, my, my take on it is, um, you can't just keep drinking in Christianity all the time. You, you need to take something, take something else every once in a while, supplement your diet. 
And you're definitely taught, and I mean, I'm going to guess Hillsong is like the rest of evangelicalism and that you're taught if you make God your whole world, it's a good thing, right? Like if you root your whole identity in God and immerse yourself in God 24-7, that it's not a negative and that it doesn't prevent you from healing, advancing in life, growing as a person. And I suppose there's sort of healthy ways to look at it, but I feel like in evangelical culture, maybe some of that gets blurred and almost like takes you away from learning about yourself and discovering who you are. Um, maybe just like it could be just in the busyness of serving at church. It could be in hearing certain points of views over and over. And like you said, Nate, not being exposed to other perspectives outside of that, where you can kind of see yourself maybe more in different things. Um, getting like one singular perspective on who God is and what you're supposed to do at your life can be can present challenges to knowing who you are and, and growing as a person because you get a mold that you're supposed to, I don't know. Did you guys mm -hmm. feel like there's a sort of a mold that you're supposed to fit into and that's kind of being spoon fed to you or. Um, I definitely did, but I also kind of, when I entered Hillsong, I was already beginning to grow critical of Christianity or evangelical Christianity um, specifically. So uh, I didn't, I don't think I would have expressed it at the time that I entered Hillsong, expressed it as sort of a criticism of evangelicalism. Um, but looking back, I, I recognize that that, that is what it, what, it, what it was. But what I saw at Hillsong was um, a lack of critically assessing um, and this is true of, of a lot of the churches that I've been um, connected to. There's this lack of critically assessing what they are teaching. And I think some of that might be taking a step like from the outside looking in. Um, some of that might be the desire in leadership to maintain authority and control. Um, not to say that as individuals they are necessarily they have necessarily um, nefarious, motives. Um, but I mean, the, the trite phrase, um, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. it's probably not so far fetched to say that people in the upper echelons, um, of Hillsong create an environment where they can't be questioned by people inside, um, and their actions and the system can't be questioned. Um, and so I think like a lot of the sermons were in a way designed to keep people from looking in. I mean, a lot, also the sermons themselves, so they, uh, unlike, um, some of the churches that we've talked about, um, like my old church emergence or, or Mars Hill church, the, the Hillsong's not very sermon driven. Um, the sermons are kind of like a, a long speech that they give that, that I, I found to be pretty lightweight and sort of fluffy there were kind of just avenues to or vehicles for presenting Hillsong as a show and, and Hillsong is like a, a music empire. But having said all that, all of it was sort of designed to keep people from, from kind of analyzing it critically or questioning what was going on. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely like a cool kids club and you don't question the cool kids. Like it was something I, it wasn't even just the leadership too. Um, but it was even like some of the followers, like, some of the volunteers, there's always this weird treating the pastors like celebrities that you couldn't talk to directly or look at and you weren't worthy of it. There was this complete culture of that all the time. And it wasn't even just so much like the pastors aren't the ones saying like, don't talk to me, but it's almost like the volunteers directly from them, the way that they like treated them gave this sense like, oh, I actually cannot talk directly to Pastor Carl and say hi if he was passing by because this other volunteer, lead volunteer, can barely even like form a sentence around him. And it's just <laughs> like very much this weird, just constant culture of just like these pastors are famous and celebrities and we treat them like that. We can we are not worthy of them because they are too Great. Yeah. I, you know, what's interesting is um, I remember thinking when I was there, like, oh, yeah, you know, Pastor Carl or whoever, um, they're not necessarily untouchable. They don't explicitly say themselves that, you know, yeah. nobody can really come to me. Um, but that that has to come from somewhere. And when you look at Hillsong as a as a as a structure, it's very top down. Um, they they aren't the kind of church that just sort of lets a culture kind of create itself, they're very deliberate about the culture that they create. So when volunteers, when they act out this kind of celebrity worship, right, yeah. um, 
that's the sort of thing that if the leaders at Hillsong didn't want to be seen that way, they would put a stop to it. Yeah, they would be um, approachable. Yeah. Yeah. I can right. tell you the moment that I kind of, my awakening where I was like, oh, this isn't right. Um, I volunteered at the green room and I could, I could literally only stomach it maybe three times because it was one of the most uncomfortable situations. And it was the first time where I was like, oh, I don't feel like, not only do I not feel worthy, I feel like I'm made to feel like I'm not worthy. Um, have you ever volunteered at the green room? Did you even know that there was a green room, which yes. is made for the pastor um, and the pastor's family? So can I can talk about Yeah, go ahead. I mean, I'll, I'll I'll just interject real quick. Um I I had gone into the green room and it had gotten spe- like special permission because of how short-staffed everyone was and that and they were like, "Well, Nate's the only service producer today." Um and Carl is in Montclair, so uh I guess Nate's got to be the only one who can who can talk to him about uh about prepping the sermon. Um but make sure that uh, the driver or somebody goes with him. Um so he's not just like going and talking to Carl on his own. And I'm like, "Wait, what?" Yeah. <laughs> it's So sorry, go ahead. Uh cuz you actually volunteered uh in the green room. So So it was like I got asked to do it and the person who kind of like showed me it was very much like this is what we do. This is exactly how we do it. And so I'll like, I'll like describe the experience from what I remember. So like volunteering at the green room, you get there early and it's like the room where the pastor and the pastor's family and guests, usually that did mean like some celebrity or some guest pastor from another mega church coming to speak. And it's kind of where they hang out. So they're not like with the congregation, which already weird tells you a lot. Um, already tells you a lot that they're separate, separated from their people. Um, so a, okay, I was like, all right, sounds great. But the level of preparedness for these rooms was outrageous and so wasteful. Um, someone in the morning, I forget who, goes, gets fresh delivery of food, like breakfast items and drinks, and they bring it out and there's like a mini fridge. And like the way I was taught to stock, it was like, set the label and make sure it faces out. And then you put like two like whole percent milk, a 2% milk. You got an oat milk, you got an almond milk, you have sodas, you have waters, and then you have to make them look this way. And then you get the table and someone brings you fresh flowers. So then you're like pruning the flowers and decorating the table and putting a cover. And I remember them telling me like, you should take a photo so that when you do this on your own, like you can kind of remember how to set it up. And I'm over here like chopping a dozen red strawberries. And then Carl weirdly likes boiled eggs. So I have like a bag of boiled eggs and I'm like dumping and putting into a bowl and I'm presenting and like laying out like a freaking a buffet table of breakfast options. And then I do that. And then they're like, okay, well now the pastor is going to come. So you just stand outside the doorway. And if he needs something, you just like, you help them. And like, but like, don't like try to talk to him essentially. Like you just stand outside of the room So now these pastors roll in, not a single hello, not a good morning, not a thank you. They come, they eat up, take a bite of an apple, leave it there. And then they go to, they go to preach. They sit out of front and they come back in. And then, then it's a throwaway of all this food and luck. You're lucky some volunteers can take the extra food out and like keep it, but it's all just wasteful and it's all showy. And I just remember being like, maybe this is a bad Sunday. Like, this man really did not just come and not say hi or even acknowledge my presence. Um, but they're like, you know, well, they're prepping for their sermon. So, you know, they're just kind of stressed out. So you can't really like talk to them or say anything. But yeah, that was kind of the experience. And I did it probably, I think maybe like I gave it a go for three times. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing this. This is, if I continue to do this, I will actually hate this church. And at that moment, that's not what I was wanting. So I was like, uh, I'm just going to remove myself from this. This this is not my volunteer role. I actually am going to start doing youth. So I don't have time. Um, but yeah, I just remember kind of thinking, pulled a curtain back to an area that did. you didn't know about before yeah. that made you start questioning what's going on in this church and how is this the organized, like, how is this the structure behind the scenes of how this yeah. is happening? There was a disconnect. How is the pastor not sitting and making himself available to talk to people, specifically the ones that he knows that like are serving very directly for him and helping hmm. doing this thing? And how is he not going to even acknowledge their presence. And I just remember I was like, this is going to mess me up. I think I had like, I was able to see like, Oh, I don't like this. We're not doing this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel like Nate, you had a story about losing one of your passes. 
you had was it to the green room or was it something oh, else yeah it was it was a conference um oh yeah and yeah uh, Elizabeth already knows like when you sorry when you were when you mentioned con- when she mentioned when ahead. she mentioned how it's the way that other people talk to you that sometimes gives you the impression of the unwritten rules this is the story that popped in my head as something Nate had shared where it was the response to him that kind of communicated so <clears throat> conference is loaded with all sorts of um abuses of people's energy and time and investment and they 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 kind of couch it in this sort of like you know it's like a boot camp for volunteers you know this is this is your rite of passage but good god the, the level of physical unhealth if that's a word like it's incredibly unhealthy for people uh they they have like certain passes with with different access right and you go and you you collect your pass before conference starts and it gives you access to to particular areas and each volunteer each category of volunteer has a pass that grants them access to you know sections of the backstage um and the the hundreds of volunteers that serve um in in creative get a pass that gets them backstage but they they can't be um in sort of the the deeper backstage areas um it's so interesting and the deeper backstage like this is like these categories and levels well set for everything Right, right. Like where the where the the performers go, where the pastors and the preachers go, where the celebrities go, um, they're not allowed back there. There's like a green room just for the the volunteer, like the whoever's doing the performances. Like if there's like a, a massive dance troupe, um, or like the the um, the people who kind of carry the coffee in and out of the the facility for. Um, and they all have very specific orders. So you, like each each pastor or each band member or each you know celebrity, whoever they were, you know they gave you their specific order from Starbucks. You had to go and you had to figure out how to carry twenty five specific Starbucks orders back to um, to the stage. And you're one person, and it's like so. So there, there's that. It's an in, incredible abuse of people's time and energy. Um, and where I was talking about, like, uh, no respect for people's well-being or health is that, you know, the call times are ridiculous for everyone. But for people who are at the sort of like the lower category of volunteer, quote unquote, um, you don't get you don't get a room where you can, you know, take a load off. Um, you're in another room with like 200 other volunteers and you got to fight for seats and they serve you ham and cheese sandwiches, uh, for, for lunch. Um, I don't remember what they, what they would get you for breakfast. Um, but that was what you, what you got and what kind of clicked for me in that at, at conference where I saw that there's severe inequality behind the scenes here. Um, and there's, there's, there are insane abuses of power is that those volunteers who were busting their asses more than the, the more like celebrity volunteers, not to say that, that they didn't do a lot of work too, but they, but the, the ones who were doing the menial tasks, um, they got their ham and cheese sandwich, at lunch and probably the same thing for dinner, or you got like a couple other options. You got peanut butter, you got ham and cheese, whatever. But then the, uh, like another category of volunteers up from that got to go to this buffet where for breakfast, you get your scrambled eggs, your, your sausage, your bacon. Um, you get a nice bagel, hot meal, right. For, for lunch, they get it catered in. Um, you know, you know, a buffet where you get lasagna, you get steak, you get like, it's, and that's that category of volunteer. Um, and so I had a pass that got me access to, to, to that area. And I happened to misplace it one, uh, one day. And, uh, the girl who was kind of in charge of checking to see who was, you know, uh, to make sure that the people who had the right credentials to go into those areas, um, flipped out on me because I had to get back there for something that I was doing. And I was like, oh shit, I forgot my pass. Um, and I don't know what, remember where I put it. So I'm like, ah, you gotta be fucking kidding me. So I had to go back to where the passes were printed and handed out or whatever. And the stickers were put on them to give you your access or whatever. I had to go back there to get a new one, but I had to get permission from the person who was checking the passes, checking people's credentials. So I went to her and I said, I lost my pass. And she was like, what access did you have? And I had, I gave her the color or whatever. She's like, you had that color and you lost it. And she flipped out. She was like, 
You don't, do you know what this means? Like somebody could find, you don't know who could find this pass Another and make volunteer. their way back here. <laughs> right, right. Another volunteer is going to discover there's a whole other <laughs> exactly. upper echelons that they're being deprived from and they can't eat good food right. and have their crap sandwiches, you know? The tiered system, I mean, it's consistent throughout. There is a tier and you're on top, you're at the bottom, you're in the middle, you're yeah. in the top 5%, but it's very obvious. That's how, that's how it's built. It's a structure. Yeah. Don't you think some of the issues around Hillsong NYC was related to, like, maybe it's not a Hillsong issue. Maybe it's a New York City celebrity culture issue that there's such a celebrity culture at Hillsong, like in in the part that you were, you know, Montclair being attached to the Manhattan location. Maybe it's specific to New York City being such a celebrity. Maybe Hillsong LA has those issues too, but it's because they're both kind of those, you know, whether it's Hollywood or New York, they're both sort of more glamour, celebrity-driven places. Well, so there there is a high level of control, and yeah, to a degree, some of like some of what was going on at New York was a little bit out of Hillsong's control, and I do remember some of those conversations, um, hearing you know rumors of those kinds of conversations taking place. But um, Brian Houston's not an idiot; mm -hmm. he knows who he's putting in places. You know, he grooms people to to replicate what he does. I think there were, um, there was an interview that I saw in one of those documentaries coming out where they, they talked about the kind of people that Brian Houston puts in charge of these Hillsong locations. And he said, they're, they're all like mini Brian Houston's, um, like Carl Lentz was a young Brian Houston. Um, he just had a, a different look and somewhat different proclivities. A, a slightly different attitude and a different way of branding himself. But he structured everything. Like, it's not like he didn't go to Hillsong College. It's not like he didn't drink in this culture. Right. He, wa he was spawned by that culture. Yeah. You know, why, like, why do you think this is, this is replicating itself, not just in New York, but also we saw um, Texas, um, Hillsong's Texas location fold. So now we're sort of getting into like a lot of the scandals that are going on with Hillsong. There's been like, and it's happened almost like in one swoop recently where everything is coming out. Um, Carl Lentz, his story and his resignation. I think that was like, what, a year ago even? Maybe not even a year ago. Um, Around about a year yeah. ago. And then follow that by a whole bunch of other places. And, and then even just a, a month or two ago with Brian Houston um, being uh, dragged into court. And uh, I believe they won their case against him, if I'm not mistaken, and taking him to court um, over covering up for his dad. But I, I don't know what the specifics. Yeah. So and, and it's just just to kind of a, a point of um, of clarification. Um, it's not like the, the scandals had just started recently. Mm -hmm. It's just that there seems to be a glut of them at this moment. Um, yeah, because the um, some of the other ones like um, like Frank Houston, Brian Houston's father. I know we're kind of throwing around some names. So I guess to clarify some of the names. So Brian Houston is the founding pastor of Hillsong Church. Um, and he's he's been the guy in charge until fairly recently when I think he stepped down. Um, and then there's um, Carl Lentz, who was the uh, the lead pastor at Hillsong, New York City. Um, so those are just a couple of names that I think might be helpful for people to understand. And Carl Lentz resigned when they found out he had had an affair. And then Brian Houston mm -hmm. sort of distanced himself by, to, from him by saying, oh, he also, you know, was very difficult in other ways. He was showing sort of narcissistic traits. And like Brian sort of was saying overall there was a Carl Lentz problem, which was interesting because that only came out once the affair became something public and he was no longer going to be useful to, to Hillsong. But up to that point, if there was all these character issues, it's kind of interesting. He's acknowledging that when he left him in charge, right? Like Brian was his boss and left him in that place of leadership. So it really makes you wonder like how much, you know, did he really care? Like is his usefulness more important to the Hillsong brand than his character and how that influenced the culture? Was Brian ultimately okay with that sort of attitude because it reflected his. And when we look at, Brian's story, you mentioned how he recently stepped out of being the head in that leadership of the whole Hillsong organization. I think maybe he stepped out of the pastor role, maybe not out of founder role, but it was through the court recent court case that was dealing with the cover-up of his dad's abuse. So this tracks very far back to the top of the organization and kind of filters yes. down to how the leadership, like the leadership across the board, this is sort of well, I, endemic to Hillsong. Does that make sense? Or? Yeah. 
first things first, Hillsong is a business. That's what it is. That's the first number one thing. It is a business. It is a brand. It is a name. And so what everyone is going to do is to is protect that brand. It is not a church first. It is not about the people first. It's not about its congregation. It is a business and it's going to do whatever it can to protect itself as a business. I would say it's a business. It's a music. It is a entertainment. Um, it is not church is like, I wouldn't say it's last, but I know it's Brandon. That's it's like probably it's heart and soul, but it is a business and that's what it is. It's going to protect itself as best as it can. So like Brian Houston using the, like, you know, this is all on Carl. That was a, that's a business move. That's a PR mm -hmm. move. You, you bet he's paying someone millions of dollars to control everything he is saying. Someone is cross checking all of these emails that go out to every member is someone getting paid to do that, to help save their butts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and you mentioned yep. too the Bible college. Um, you brought that up earlier too, Nate, when you were talking about the whole system and the whole structure. And when you talk about uh, Lizeth as Hillsong as a brand, like it's a record label pretty much. And the church seems like a useful tool for distributing the music and distributing the brand. Like, you know, teach the congregation all the songs, get it out there. They start buying and are able to pump out their number one songs pretty quickly when it gets released because everyone knows the music and like it feels like it's an arm of the business the church aspect of it seems like it galvanizes the hillsong brand um to, to go forth and spread its hillsongness but like the bible college is also another yep. arm of that whole industrial complex of hillsong like i I know people who have gone to Hillsong College who are not a part of the Hillsong churches, so it does stretch out even beyond Hillsong. But it's also a training ground for spreading that Hillsong brand, too. So people who want to go, like, from what I understand, when there's new Hillsong churches started, it's people from the head, like, from Australia coming and transplanting and bringing that to, to other places. It's not necessarily all locally generated. It's coming from the top, and it's being... Is that, mm -hmm. is that accurate or would that be? I, I think that's part of it too. Like you were saying, Lizeth, it's a, it's a business and it's got a brand. Um, and yes, there's the, the protecting the brand when something goes wrong, but there's also the replicating the brand and they want yeah. a lot of control over what the brand looks like in all the various locations. So almost no matter where you go, um, in countries that are not Anglophone countries, they're still running their services in English. Um, it's because they want to maintain the same look and feel, the same brand. Um, across, and you don't achieve that kind of cohesive, that you don't achieve that kind of cohesiveness of branding when you're not being very deliberate and replicating the people that are going to be presenting that brand to a new country or to a new city and and that they don't have the DNA of that brand embedded within them. And as we're finding out now, there's a lot in that DNA that's corrupt. Um, yeah, and and it it trickles down from, from the top down. I mean, we talked about Carl Lentz's um, <laughs> indiscretions. We talked about Carl Lentz's affair um, and and uh, we talked about a little bit about um, Brian Houston stepping down in light of what his father had done. His father, who was also a pastor um, in, in, in the Australian megachurch scene prior to, to the launch of Hillsong Church, I believe, um, was discovered to have been um, molesting children. And Brian Houston covered it up and I think he was he was you know recently yeah I don't know if he was I think he was indicted but I don't know if he was convicted I don't remember the whole uh, like what went down but that's it triggered him stepping down basically yeah it was yeah. curious yeah but it goes it, not just from from the upper echelons um of Hillsong but even down into uh, some of the the more localized um, areas. And I know, um, Lizeth, you have a story if you want to share a little bit about that. Um, you don't have to go into great detail because I know you, you want to be cautious about how you how you share that story. But if you're yeah. if you're willing. Yeah. yeah. And then one more comment I just wanted to say, too, just with everything coming out, it's something that's it's like the hot topic right now. But mm. the reason for that is because it was Carl Lentz and what Carl did in his recognition, because prior to all this, He's on Good Morning America. He's on entertainment news and magazines and public. In the past, like Hillsong was just a very Christian community type of thing. But by Carl baptizing Justin Bieber and becoming so public and advertising Justin Bieber's face along with his, 
he brought it outside of like the Christian evangelical community into the public image. So having him fall in every like big and giant like Daily Mail, all these big giant names, and it's now public and now it's taken out of the Christian community. So now it's like that face and that image is on everything. And so I think what it's done is just allowed people to start speaking up um, and also waking up. I think like there's this because I went to Hillsong, what, like five years ago. And I, you know, I walked away, not in the worst way. I didn't have like a horrible taste in my mouth. I felt very tired. Um, but it wasn't until like years later when I had moved to Austin, I was like trying to find a new church and I went into a church and I was like, I think it's time to start looking in. Like I felt very tired and very, very jaded, but then a smoke machine turns on. I was like, whoa, like, like triggering. Like all of a sudden I realized, whoa, I am having a very real response. And then, so that happened. I realized, oh, maybe, you know, church trauma, this is a thing. And I think it's mm -hmm. still like a new thing that's coming out right now. Yes. But I just remember being like, I'm having a very real reaction to the smoke that's happening in this room right now. Um, and then like, that kind of woke me up to that. But then like the Carl Lentz, like I remember when that came on like a newspaper, like entertainment, I was like, whoa, like this is, this is really crazy. Not only is it just really crazy, but like I have no real Christian-y friends in Austin, but like my friends that were just like never went to a church are also reading this same article and it's becoming very, like everyone is now aware. Um, and I think that's kind of what happened. And that's why it's become what it is now and has now spiraled into this crazy because it all of a sudden him doing what he did and it being exposed the way that it did just made Hillsong in general very public. Um, and it's no longer this like hidden, unless you're in the community, you know what's happening. It's like everyone now knows, um, which, you know, led to <laughs> a series of incidents, I guess that came from, I don't know. It's, it's kind of weird that how it all just like happened. Like the pastor call stuff happens. I haven't really thought about Hillsong in years and haven't really gone in process like I don't know, just everything. <laughs> Lizeth continues her story in our next episode, so be sure to subscribe if you haven't already, and you'll get the rest of our conversation sent directly to your device. You can find all the platforms we're available on by visiting our website, fullmutuality.com, where you'll see links to more than 20 apps that you can find our show on. And if you like what you hear, the best way to support us and spread the word is to rate and review us on iTunes or our website, where you'll also find links to all of our social media pages. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon on the next episode of the Full Mutuality Podcast.